This is GNE, the podcast, Golf and Entrepreneurship with Duncan Littlefield, ex-professional golfer and current entrepreneur. And uh, we just started like telling our story and we started kind of taking cool photos as a little bit of a distraction from the grind of, you know, being creative and being able to be at the golf course, being involved in the process, but also like being able to create and take a step away. And so that's when my, you know, head started going a little bit and I was like, hey, what if I tell people what it's really like? And maybe I can get some traction. Maybe I can get some support. Maybe I can get some reality. reality. Maybe I can get some funding. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of G&E, the podcast, where each week we talk with individuals who are creating remarkable careers, lives, and businesses around this great game. And this week's episode was a really fun one for me because today's guest, Duncan Littlefield, is someone I look up to very much as an entrepreneur and as a person in general. Duncan pursued professional golf for six years and saw some really nice success, including playing on the European Challenge Tour, PJ Tour Latin America, and added five mini tour wins to his resume in that time, which is very impressive. And along the way, Duncan began to see the rise of social media. And he wanted to shine the light on the ups and downs of mini tour life to show the world that at that stage of professional golf, it's really not as glamorous as you would think it would be. And while he was doing this, he became rather talented at content creation and had the opportunity to work with GoPro and some other brands. And he decided to put the clubs away and focus full time on his new passion in life. And that was to build a photography and social media business. And since basically starting over at 26 with no college degree or professional background, he has grown it into a successful business called The Littlefield Co., and was recently named to this year's Charlotte Agenda 30 Under 30. So as you can tell by this intro, uh, this is one of the more in-depth interviews we have ever had, so I hope you all enjoy it as much as I did. And this one was also recorded in a studio, so you'll notice a slight change in microphones when we transition to it in a second. So without further ado, here's our interview with Duncan Littlefield. Duncan, uh, to start off, thank you for coming on the podcast uh, you've created a little bit of a name for yourself as an entrepreneur here in Charlotte, and we're going to get to all that in a little bit, but uh, you know, I don't know how familiar everyone is with your career in golf, but that's what we're going to dive into first. And so, you know, for our listeners, um, can you give us a little background on yourself, who Duncan is, and how you got into golf in the first place? Yeah, of course. Um, so my, I grew up playing the game of golf, and my dad... Um, he, he was a huge influence on my life, obviously, you know, as a father figure, but he was always there. Okay. And, you know, my dad grew up with not much. And, uh, so he didn't pick up the game of golf until he met my mom. And through that, it was my grandfather saying, Hey, if you're going to like be serious about my daughter, you have to go play golf with me. And so my grandfather gave him his set for, first set of golf clubs. And I came around about two years after that. Okay. And he, at that point got the bug. And he had a club in my hand immediately. Okay, cool. So you you grew up playing from what two, three, four years old? Yeah, I mean, I remember there's a picture like sitting on my like my family's mantle at around the fireplace. That's like me sitting on my dad's like old school like red leather bag nice. <laughs> um, at the Palo Alto Municipal Golf Course out in California. And uh, yeah, it was it's pretty funny to look back on. But I didn't really start taking it seriously till about the end of high school. Okay, cool. So I was a um, played a lot of sports growing up and. Always the kid was getting dirty and banged up knees and everything. And then finally, like, my dad and I kind of went out one day. I was like, you know what? I really love this. Like, this is cool. This is different. Yeah, I mean, I was like you. I played basically every other sport besides golf until high school. And then I made the change into it. 
um, and got the bug like like you probably did. And so was it in high school? Did you get on the on the team or, you know, what got you? What made you take that step to, you know, I guess, get rid of all the other sports and take golf seriously? So I remember, I believe it was right in the middle of the summer between my seventh and eighth grade year. My dad joined a golf club. It wasn't nothing, but it was nothing but golf, not tennis, not pool, about 35 minutes away from the house. And it was a little golf course based around a retirement community and really, really was the opportunity to just go out and enjoy myself. And I was fortunate and I learned uh, so much from like the way to even communicate with adults by just being around it. And so it was just, it was an activity for him and I, like it was him and I, we'd get in the car, we'd drive 35 minutes, we were able to listen to music, we were able to talk, you know, two Diet Cokes and a split bag of M&Ms <laughs> on the way home. But it was, you know, 35 minutes up, if it was either nine or 18 holes, and then 35 minutes back, and it was just him and I. And that's really like where my dad and I's real bond. Okay. And up until this day, we still talk about it. But, you know, then... You know, my dad, you know, working nine to five, you know, as a normal human being. And then from there, it was like weekends we did that. And then my mom would do the trip whenever else, whenever he was at work. Yeah, I mean, for me as well, it's it's been a huge bond for not just me and my dad, but also for me and my grandfather when he was around. It's how, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we were close before that, but it was a chance. Like you said, you get 30 minute to an hour drive to a course and you get to really know somebody. And obviously there's only one thing to do, but that is to talk. And so, you know, I can definitely relate to what you're saying, but I'm kind of curious, uh, when did the idea of playing professional first come on your mind? I would like to say it was somewhere in the high school world, yeah. high school range. Um, I, I grew up in the era of Tiger. Um, he is the best to walk, period. Mm-hmm. He made it cool. Um, but reality, I remember it was probably like sophomore year and I was like, this is really what I want to do. And this is something that I love. I was passionate. I had effort behind it. And I didn't know where that effort or where that passion was going because mm-hmm. I was so young. I mean, a 16-year-old kid, if he's not like coached really fundamentally on like effort and passion, he's just out there. And so I was just out there. And I, okay. I was just, I was hitting balls. You know, it was bad form, but I was just getting it around. And I loved the process of getting it around and loved the creativity of getting it around with whatever I had. And so I remember telling people that I was like, you know what, this is going to be like my deal. Like I'm going to go play in college. I'm going to go try. And everyone was kind of just thought it wasn't, it was a big dream. It was a big ambition, but I think I knew then that I was really going to give it hell. I mean, it is a big dream. It's <laughs> uh, it, chasing that. I mean, the percentages, if you look at it, it's, it's very, it's very hard to do. And you've obviously learned that you went out there and did it for six years, but I mean, you you went there and you did it. I mean, you made the move to go and and try and so yeah. In reality, I didn't. Yeah. I I barely played on my high school team. Okay, because I was I was late. To I'm the with game. you on that. Yeah, like I barely played. A, I barely made my roster. I mean, I made the roster, but like I barely started. Oh, I was on a podcast uh, a couple weeks back and we were talking about that. And I shot. I think I picked it up freshman year and I shot 127 in my freshman year tryout. Came back next year, shot in the 90s, and by senior year was shooting in the 70s. But you know, like you said, yeah, I mean, kind of in the grand scheme of things, compared to most PGA Tour players, I barely played on my high school team. But, um, you know, one thing led to another and ultimately had the chance to give it a go like yourself. And so um, I guess, you know, where where'd you play in college? So I went to I was I was very fortunate where I went to a school called Wittenberg University, okay. which is a division three school out in Ohio. 
And when I, I wasn't thinking Ohio, I was, I didn't know, I mean, you know, middle of winter, I was just brutal. It was just like Connecticut. It's like I wanted to try to go South. I wanted to play. And at that point, um, not playing a lot of tournaments in high school, I didn't have a ton of reps, like just like under the gun pressure, actual reps, tournament, reps. actual tournament yeah. reps. And so I wanted to go to a place where I could like make an impact and I could play. So within a week period in my junior year, I got recruited by the top four, top five schools in that conference. Cool. And like out of the blue, it was like letter, letter, letter. And I was like, all right, my mom looks at me and she was like, probably we should go check these out. Yeah. So we, um, we drove out and looked at five schools in about four or five days and really just felt at home at this school called Wittenberg University. And at the time they were top 50 in D3. And when I left, we were heading to nationals. And how was that experience? Were you able to play, get tournament, you know, get out there in actual tournaments and yeah. be on the top five? Do yeah, all absolutely. Um, I made my way. Um, I was top five pretty much immediately. Okay. And then by the end of my year, I was number two on the roster. Um, and that was your freshman. That year. was my freshman year. So um, I was newcomer newcomer for for the conference. Um, was very fortunate to get a lot of reps in. Played very poorly, but at that point, like again, I was just kind of there. I didn't know. I knew I was putting hard work in, but it, the hard work wasn't going anywhere because I didn't have any direction. And where did you end up finding that direction? Was it the coach, or did you find the swing coach? Or yeah, I was um, I was fortunate to meet a, a gentleman by the name of Roger Nick, and he owned a academy called the Golf Performance Center in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Okay. And my dad worked with him a little bit, and he was the big biomechanical guy before biomechanics were real yeah. or before they were thought of. And this was 2006. 2007. So um, I went to him and I was like, you know what? Like, this is too much science for me. Like, this is too much. This is too much. And then um, my sophomore year, I was like, you know what? I need to become not a robot, but I need to become a robot. And I need like to. Like uh, DeChambeau. No, 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 no. He's, uh, I would say he's on a league not, of his yeah, own. Another level. That's not a level. But for me, I was like, you know what? If I'm going to be competitive coming down the stretch, I need to have a clue what's going on in my body. And I need to have an understanding about not being a perfect robot, but I need to have an understanding of like, this is what I'm going to feel and this is what I can pull off of. But like, I know my body well enough that like I can go execute. And that's when I made the call. And we talked for 45 minutes on the phone that very first time. And I was in his studio about seven days later and my, my life changed. 100%. Okay. Yeah. So I definitely went through something similar to that where I thought I could play completely by feel and just use athleticism. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, you can get far, but you have those, you have those blow up holes and you're not really sure why they're happening. I'm sure you were having the same case. Totally. Um, and it was simply not knowing, you know, what your body was doing, like you just said. And so, you know, I got a swing coach and that changed the entire trajectory of, you know, my game to this day. And I actually understand, you know, why, why there's a miss left, why there's a miss right. And so I'm guessing for you, uh, when it comes to probably consistency playing in college, that was that was a big uh, changing point. Yeah, and it was everything. I mean, I mean, Roger is a close friend of mine still to this day, and I I owe so much to him. Like even like you look at my business now and my career now, it's I owe so much of what him and I talked about, either in the coaching bay or on the golf course or in a van or wherever. Like I owe to him, no doubt about it, and. We talked. We looked at every every aspect. It was he called it the five points. So it was it was physical. It was nutrition. It was it was swing. It was um, clubs. Me- like mental everything. Oh, yeah. um, so he really like he looked at me as an experiment almost. Like he looked at me as like a science experiment of like picking me apart. 
and we saw a lot of flaws and the nice part and what he tells me this day i was like i he or i owned up to those flaws and was like all right there needs to be a change and like now let's go to work and what year was this that was that was middle of that was december of my sophomore year so that was 2000 and december 2008 okay and like you said i mean in high school, you were still you had the the dream of playing professionally first started coming around, but mm-hmm. at this point, I'm guessing it started to become a little bit real. Uh, was that true? Yeah, uh, I, I, uh, real. Yes, yeah. I was eager. I was really Hungry. eager. I was really eager to say that I was a professional golfer because every growing up, and I didn't make much. I didn't play much in my high school team. You know, I played at a mid level D three school, and I didn't make a dent yet. Um, and I still would to this day like argue that I didn't make a dent. But for me, I was eager to say that I was a professional golfer. And I think that hurt me in the long run in my career. But I would have not changed it because it taught me a lot more about life, commitment, everything attached. But, you know, I would I was eager. I, I was a I was young, naive, honestly. OK. And this eagerness did. Did you stay the all four years or did you No. So I ended up leaving. Um, okay. what happened was, um, the, the full backstory was that I was getting recruited to go to play at division one schools because the division at Wittenberg, I wanted to be, I wanted to be pushed because I was the one pushing as a freshman and I wanted to be pushed and I wasn't that great. And I thought I needed more. I, I thought I needed more reps. I thought I just needed to get my brains beat in by like guys who were shooting 65. Okay. And so I explored that opportunity and I said to my coach and I was like, Hey, I'm, I feel like I'm the only one here who really wants to take this seriously. And all my buddies still to this day, like, will tell you that like they wanted to be doctors and I love them. Like they're great guys. They were great teammates. I was fortunate, but they wanted to be doctors and I was the only one who wanted to take it seriously. So I wanted to be pushed. I wanted to be pushed hard. So I went to my coach and I said, Hey, I don't want to leave, but I want to explore the opportunity to like maybe go somewhere else. And you know what? It could be the best thing in the world for me to stay, but I just, I don't know. And my dad, if he sought me anything in this world, it's, you know, a man with options has options. And so I wanted to explore the option. Okay. Um, so he was like, you know what, Dunk, I really see that out of you. I feel that out of you. So like, let's get you to where you want to go. And unfortunately, three days later, he changed his mind and he kicked me off the team for not wanting to be at the school. Really? Wow. Yeah. It was a tough email to read. Yeah. Um, email. Email. It was a tough email to read, um, but you know what? Like, I wished him the best of luck. And so then my parents and I had a very candid conversation, and we decided to that I would move to Florida to play for a semester while still going to school and then look at then transferring back into the fall. And I was fortunate. I was My parents supported me in it, and I thank them all the time for it. I didn't know really what the opportunity was. And, you know, I remember my dad going, hey, like, you know, this is your, this is your opportunity. Yeah. Like, here's your – here's your risk reward. And if you screw up, you're back home. And if you really want to do this, like this is going to tell you if you're cut out to do it. Okay. So, okay. wow. So you're, you're young. You moved to yeah, I was or, 20 years was Orlando, old. right? I was 20 years old when I moved to Orlando. It was January 3rd and my dad and I drove down and uh, rented an apartment, found a golf course and I went to work. I think it's crazy one to move on your own to Orlando to go pursue something like professional golf at that age. I mean, you know, if you're listening to this and you're, you're a little bit older, you can look back and think about how immature you were at that time and you know, what that kind of experience will teach you. And I want to definitely unbox this a little bit. And, um, you know, 
for for people who who pursue professional golf, it, it teaches you a lot about yourself. And we've talked a lot about this in the past, and it's something I would love to discuss right now. And so, like you said, like I mean, weren't you living in like a little apartment, just hitting balls all day and, and pursuing the mini tours? Yeah. So I moved in, um, and I'll never forget the place. It was right off, I, right off, um, right off I four in Orlando, and um, you know, one bedroom apartment white walls didn't have like a single photo (laughs) like if like a girl walked in there she'd be like you don't even live here like this is a hotel room i'm out of here yeah like it's just (laughs) like it's just like not cool um i remember having like a really small tv um i slept on an air mattress for the first i think five six weeks just because i didn't know what was going to happen and i didn't want to really buy a mattress i don't know it was one of those things where like um but i was fortunate like i loved every second of it like and yeah, I loved it. It was it was an experience, and it was something that taught me a lot down the road. And I look back on today, and I was so I was so grateful. But I I worked hard at it, and I I worked really. I was grateful that I was able to work really hard at it. Okay, and so what was the lineage like from there? I mean, what tours did you play on in the beginning? Where because I know you end up playing the Challenge Tour and, and doing stuff like that. How how that all evolved? So at that time, I was still an amateur. Okay, and I stayed an amateur because I was trying to go back to college. And then, um, so I stayed an amateur, was playing anything from mini tours as an amateur to like actual amateur events. So I played, you know, Florida, Florida State Am. I played, gosh, I played like even the Golf Channel Amateur Tour just because I wanted something a little consistent and I want to, I wanted to build. And that's where my coach really came in and he was like, hey, let's get you into a spot that you can play on a tour regular to build, not even like status, but build on something and almost treat it like your own mini PGA tour yeah. where it's not like you're popping around tournament to tournament and just gambling. It's like, Hey, let's build and let's build. Let's build. It was a great opportunity. And, and absolutely. So, um, from there it was just, it was just the grind mode for the first three months. I didn't take a day off. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, well, like I got to take a day off. (laughs) Um, but it was, I had to go through that for myself and still, I look back and you know, my, what I'm doing today and it's, I do the same thing. It's like, learn what the burnout actually is. Right. You can actually have one. You can feel it coming now. And like, mm-hmm. I can, I now can look back and I didn't feel it then. Like, I thought that's what I had to do. And like, I moved there. It was my requirement. It was the expectation of people. It was the expectation of my family. It was the expectation out of myself to go in and go, you know what? I'm just going to beat balls and I'm going to get better. And this is something we'll talk about in a second about the similarities between entrepreneurship and professional golf in that fact of like, you know, thinking you can outwork everybody, but actually working smart. I'm sure that's something you learned as your career developed. But uh, so you were you were working your ass off, like you said, and started playing on some tours. And then, um, you know, did you eventually start seeing some results because you, you, you moved up? You started playing some better tours. And <laughs> yeah, like um, yeah, definitely started seeing results. And I would say also consistent results Yeah, where, you know, I went on a little bit of run. and It was a good run, you know, just like right around par every round. Um, nothing crazy low, nothing like really crazy high, you know, it was never like the 85, but it was like the 77 to 71. Like okay. I stayed in that range for a little while and, um, I was, I was really comfortable being in that range and wanted more, but I also realized like where my consistency went that it was like, I also wasn't putting up the 85 where like I was before. Cause mm-hmm. like, again, you, you play off feel and like you have, you have one bad day that oh, like yeah. you ate the wrong breakfast or you didn't feel right. And your it's hands like aren't feeling it. Your, your body's going nuts. Um, that's a bummer. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, so currently I went live on my Instagram and my phone just dropped right off as somebody called. So I'm going to go pick that up yeah, and go you pick can edit up. this thing out. Absolutely. Um, somebody's calling from Des Moines, Iowa. 
Um, all right. So you want to kick that thing back off? What was I saying? Yeah. Where were we? We were talking about tours in Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're having, you're starting to learn, you know, what consistency felt like. And that because of that, you, you were starting to move up. And I think the last thing you said, you were, you were in Des Moines, Iowa and no, that's where somebody called from. Uh, oh, okay. Somebody <laughs> called from Des Moines, Iowa. That's where my phone. That's where my phone fell off. That. All right. So. So started feeling some consistency yeah. across the board. You know, not throwing up the big numbers because you know my body was a little off, and that's what a lot of feel or what I was comfortable or not comfortable with, but that's what I was used to with like having a feel, a feel story of you know. Then all of a sudden, here's the 85, mm-hmm. and so I started to get a little more consistency, and and was very, was very proud of that. Was went down there to gain that really. Um, but I wanted more. Like I was, yeah. I was hungry. I wanted, I wanted the sixty-five. I wanted to be there. And I wanted did you the get there? Um, you know, uh, at times, yeah. Um, never the consistent four-day stretch of you know sixty-eight, sixty-seven, seventy-one, sixty-four to win a golf tournament. Yeah, what it actually takes to, actually to play takes. at that level. So yeah, I was, I was good, but I wasn't great. Okay, and you, you did this for six years, though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I played. Um, I turned pro right before right before my twenty first birthday, okay. and um, went after it hard. Did the typical mini tour stuff where it's yep. you know driving from Connecticut to Georgia overnight to go play a practice round Tuesday afternoon, and then play and then tee it up first thing on Wednesday morning. And something I'm curious about because you know we've only had a few people who've done the mini tours on this podcast, but did you see the entire grind of chasing the PGA Tour? as an entrepreneurial venture, like you were running your own business almost? Yes. Um, I saw a piece of it. Yeah. I did not see the full picture. And, I don't, and and some people do, and that's like a great privilege, but like I only saw little, little bits of it. So I saw it because I had to manage my own travel schedule. I had to I had to be the one manage how I'm, how I'm eating, how I'm sleeping, you know, how I'm saving money for if it's hotel rooms or tournaments. I didn't see it from the realistic perspective of like me looking at myself as an entrepreneur or like as a small business, I looked at myself as a athlete who was trying to make it. So I was in the mindset of working in my business, not working on my business. If that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And I know along this way though, this is when you discovered the power of social media and you started learning how to market yourself and the pursuit of, like you said, you know, not everyone gets to see what playing on the mini tours is really like that, those eight hour drives and, and, you know, the loneliness of it. And so you start documenting this and you start learning about social media. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is kind of where your life changed a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's, it's a funny story. So like Steve Griffin, my best friend, like he'll tell you, we were in a tournament in Bangor, Maine for the Bangor Open. Okay. And we were sitting at a, um, a Ruby Tuesdays. I know. World class, <laughs> high end meal for. I mean, that's what you're eating. You eat chilies, Ruby Tuesdays. Totally, <laughs> you, you know where you're going. Like there's a there's a TGI Fridays in like yeah, every, every little town, single one, every right by town. a hotel too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we're at Ruby Tuesdays, and waitress comes over in Bangor, Maine, and she goes, "All right, what do you do?" And like, I was so sick and tired of telling people that I was a professional golfer, and then have somebody go, "Oh my gosh, you know Tiger." Oh my gosh! How's Phil Mickelson's game plan right now? <laughs> or it's their their expectation is now me flying in on private jet, you know, driving the Mercedes around the parking lot. In reality, him and I drove up. We packed the car. You're in a Honda Civic. Yeah, <laughs> like like we're we're in a we're in a Motel Six down yeah. the street because it's forty two dollars a night, and we can go twenty one and twenty one, and have a little better of a meal to prepare ourselves. 
And so at that point, I was like, you know what? There's no one telling the story of being this mini tour grinder. Like there's there's stories out there and like you get to the PGA Tour and then the Golf Channel tells you the story of the guy who like fought the mini tours for yeah, 10 years. Yeah, but it's years. like a five-minute snippet. It's, right, it's, it's a 30 for 30 moment yeah. for Golf Channel. But no one's like actually doing it live in the moment, preparing it and showing that. So what I decided to do was, you know, I picked up a GoPro from a buddy of mine. Um, and at the time I was living in a house with three other guys, still three of my great friends today. And, uh, we just started like telling our story and we started kind of taking cool photos as a little bit of a distraction from the grind of, you know, being creative and being able to be at the golf course, being in revolved or evolved in the process, but also like being able to create and take a step away. And so that's when my, you know, head started going a little bit and I was like, Hey, what if I tell people what it's really like? And maybe I can get some traction. Maybe I can get some support. Maybe I can get some reality. Reality. Maybe I can get some funding. Yeah. And so Which I started. Which is a big telling, challenge. If if you're listening to this and don't know, I mean, that's one of the biggest oh, challenges of doing it is getting some money behind you. Because it's a major challenge. It's expensive. It's expensive. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, you're ga- you gamble every week. Every, it's you all are, it is. Yeah. You are a professional gambler, but you gamble on yourself. And that's one of the greatest gifts that somebody can somebody can have. Mm-hmm. Um, I say that like. You know, an entrepreneur gambles on themselves every day, and but nobody looks at it that way. It was a true honor to be able to walk up to a you know walk onto a tee box, look at somebody right across the way, and go, you know what? I'm going to bring my best today, and the best man will win. And like, I'm going to give you a high five if you beat me, or like, I would expect the same in return. Yeah, and that was the great. It was one of the greatest feelings ever. And so, I mean, like you're saying, you're gambling on yourself, but back to the whole social media thing is you're. You're starting to see the power of this. And was what year was this? Was Instagram coming up? Because I know that I think that was one of the avenues you took. Yeah. Um, I'm doing the math in my head and I'm, I'm like dating myself. And I'm like, man, when was that? Um, this had to be in the ballpark of like 2012. Okay. Um, so, so. Yeah, I was probably, I was probably 25, okay. 24, 25. So you're a few years into it, like yeah. three, four years into it. And like you said, you, I mean, one thing was the fact it was a distraction from that daily grind because, you know, that weighs on you a little bit, mm-hmm. obviously. Um, but I'm, I'm guessing you start to like, so something I always talk about is you see, you know, on Instagram these days, some people who are on the mini tours and are taking a little bit different of approach, they get a hundred thousand followers and all of a sudden they have sponsors like Callaway and, you're seeing the guys on the web.com tour with the same ones. And, and here's me, the crazy part. It's not even the, it's not even the financial, it's not even the financial thing. It's guys who have like, you know, a hundred to 200,000 followers. They have an opportunity to go play a tournament. Yeah. Yeah. They, they have an opportunity to go get into a web.com on a sponsor exemption because they want to bring exposure. Absolutely. And that's the game changer. Well, you saw it with Paige uh, Spronick over in, um, I mean, uh, I forget where it was, but right. she got in that one tournament. Yeah. Uh, in Dubai. Yeah. In Dubai. Exactly. But you've been looking, look at the Bryant brothers. Oh yeah. I, I mean, mean perfect they, example. he is the perfect example. Yeah. Like th- those guys. And I mean, I played the mini tours with them and great guys. I mean, absolutely like world-class pair of golfers, like really, really oh, yeah. good. I mean, yeah. obviously he's won on the PGA tour, <laughs> yeah, now he's, now he's you know, it. but like the reality was like GoPro changed his life because they were doing trick shots with GoPro. They got exposure. He got into event. He got into event. He gained a little bit of confidence. He went to web.com Q school, got through, got his card, won three times. Now he's a winner on the PGA tour. Yeah. Like, that's incredible. And, you know, he's making cuts at the Masters now. I like the point you said there about confidence and that that can give it to you. I mean, you have a brand. I mean, at that time, you know, GoPro isn't necessarily what it is, you know, what it was then. But uh, it is. It was the hottest, the hottest social yeah. media 
uh, platform, like, excuse me, uh, handle. Like it was the hottest social media company in the world. Yeah. They were, they were influencers before influencers were a thing. Exactly. And, and you have a, a brand like GoPro behind you. And so I know eventually you got the chance to, you know, fortunate enough to work with them, but you, so you start doing social media and you, you're documenting the grind of what the main tour life is, which was, you know, at the time, I guess unique and you know, not many people or, or maybe no one was doing it. And so what kind of opportunities did this uh, lead to? Yeah, I was, I was fortunate. Um, I was lucky, really. Um, I got to sit down with the director of media from GoPro, director of social media from GoPro, head of team sports. And they were like, you know, we really want to build out. We really see an opportunity because the camera is so small of how we can play a role in the game of golf. And so we sat back and they were like, hey, we'd love to try this and this and this. And that was, you know, if you relate it to my business now, that's almost the first client interaction I was ever had because they're giving me opportunities to create them content from an art form perspective, but still look at them as a business compared to me going, hey, I think it should be this, this, and this. It's going, well, no, Dunk, that does not align with our brand. And now going, hey, here are your brand guidelines. Go tell a story. And so that was kind of a really cool part. And I didn't know it at the time. I was, because I'd never been on the other side of it, but I look back on now and be like, this is, this was my first client, even though it was That's an cool. opportunity to learn. So like my sweat equity yeah. is, was GoPro and the education that I have was GoPro. And it was arguably the best ever education I've ever been given. And, and why, why you, what, what made them come, come to you? And was it, was, were you building a following? Was it your approach? You know, what, what was it? I have no idea. <laughs> um, Luck. Uh, yeah, I would say it's a, it's a good bit of timing. Um, I would say it is. Yeah, I would say it's timing. Um, I would also say it was passion and effort. Um, one of the biggest things for me right now is passion and effort and passion and effort in anything I do. And so I was passionate and, and I put a lot of effort behind it away from the game of golf. So okay. if I was in the golf course or I focused on the game of golf for 12 hours a day, you know, two hours were in the gym, 10 hours were at the golf course. I would devote an hour, 30 minutes, 15 minutes just to create a piece of content. And then I would also have the GoPro in my back pocket. So like when me, uh, you know, I had a little like, you know, $5 game with my buddies, yeah. like I'd be able to drop it and be like, hey, you know what? Like I can go put this in the bunker or I can go like drop it on a tee box and like let's you see start experimenting, experiment, yeah. be creative, you know, and that's where for me, it was like I was able to pull away and have that like 30 minutes a day where I was like, you know what, let me try something different and let me be around the game that I love, but not be like focused on like hitting this five yard draw over and over yeah. and over again. Did you did you get to the point where you found that you were getting more into the creation of content than you were your, your golf game? I would say at, at, I would say at times. Yeah, um, I would say it was. It was infectious because I was starting to see you're creating it. It's cool. Yeah, it, it, it was fun. Like in reality, it was fun. But I also will say like from like it was it was cool to see that like a following wanted to see what I was doing. Yeah. And at that time, social media was new for me. You know, again, it was it was it was infectious. Like GoPro released one of my photos like like that's really cool. And I was recognition for recognition. what you're doing. Exactly. And I didn't see a lot of that in the golf game at the time because I wasn't playing very well. <laughs> but so like that was an outlet and that was like a confidence booster. But but you're right. Like I would say the water got a little muddy for a second. Okay. And so like you're you're getting into this and you're you're seeing recognition and you know, clearly there's passion behind it. Um 
was was because I know now. I mean, you're not playing golf. You're you're running your own successful business. And was there a day that you woke up and were just like, you know what, this isn't for me anymore? Yeah, um, like a day, or was it more of a you know progression? I would definitely say it was a progression. Okay, um, I fought it for a little while. Yeah, and my coach and I talked about it a lot. And I was young, like, and that's the difference is like, so if I really look at my career, you know, I really started taking it seriously at age 20 because like, that's when I started working with my golf coach. So between the ages of call it 14 and 20, I probably put a year and a half to two years of really solid work in. But then from the ages of 20 to 26, I put six years of really solid work in. Intense, intense, work. intense yeah. work, like deliberate, intentional work. Yeah. And so in reality, in the game of golf, I was like seven years in like my golf IQ or my golf age was seven years and it's a 20 year sport. Oh, easy. And I saw that and the year six, seven or, you know, in my playing career, year four, tough spot, year five, tough spot, got hurt. Okay. And then I just saw wasn't it wasn't the it was a little bit of passion and a little bit of wasn't love like it loved the love of the game didn't go away but a little bit of the passion went away of like the why yeah the real why of like what you why. need when it's so hard oh you, yeah you absolutely need that. you need that that pure self-confidence of going you know what i'm doing this for the right reason okay and then i lost that interesting and so you know we've been talking about golf a lot but but now you have this this different career and it all what all stems from from golf and it stems from learning social media and learning, you know, how to create content. Now that's become your passion in many ways. And so, you know, what I guess, you know, you said it was progression, but when did when did you decide to stop and then how did you know where your next move was going to be? Yeah, so I remember I went to a US Open local. And this was uh 3 3 years ago now. I went to a US Open local and I kind of had a talk with myself going into it, going dunk, this might be your last professional round ever okay and it was about an hour and an hour and 20 minutes from charlotte and i remember driving there and being like you know what like if you see something out of yourself today like you owe it to yourself to keep going and if you don't then like it's time to hang them up and i didn't tell anybody else that i didn't tell my coach that i didn't tell my parents that and i remember showing up and giving it really serious focus and i didn't either see the result but I definitely did not see like the right, the right thing in me to mm-hmm. keep going. Okay. And I remember putting my clubs in the car and I was like, this is like the last time I'm going to do this. Wow. Um, and I drove home, didn't really say a word to myself, was, was pretty angry, but I, but I knew. Okay. I, I, I knew I was driving home and I just knew. That's intense. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a very, um, and it was, it wasn't like an aha moment. It wasn't it was leading up to it. But like at that moment, like I realized that I failed and I let people down. And again, like back to like why, you know, you know, my family, I I just felt like I left my coach down and my family down and I let myself down by like not making it or not making a bigger dent of why I wanted to do it. And, but I knew I, I knew I failed. Yeah. But this is something we talked about in, you know, previous was that you, yes, statistically, I mean, and I don't even consider your career a failure. I mean, you got very far and you gave it a go. Right. But, I mean, the uh, goal was to be the number one player in the world. Th- yeah. I mean, and I didn't get there. Okay. You know, I was 1100 places short. Yeah. Call it right. But in reality, Still impressive. But no. And again, like I look back on it now and it was an opportunity and my business today 
who I am as an individual, where my business is, my friends, my relationships, like everything is due to the fact of what I did on or while I was playing the game of golf. Like okay. I relate everything back to it and I'm fortunate that I failed. Like I love that I failed. Yeah. And that's like people don't think like that, but I love that I failed. Well, it's key. I mean, and it's it's how you learned who you were. And so, you know, to transition into what you're doing now, uh, what was, you know, what was the lesson? What did you learn about yourself playing professional golf that now, like you just said, you're, you're thankful for? Um, man, that's a, that's, <laughs> that's a, that's a deep a, one. That is a, yeah. It's not even a deep question. It's a very broad question. It is broad. Because I learned, if you look at, if you look at a business, especially as like a small solo entrepreneur for a long time, like that's what a golfer is. And you have to do everything. Mm-hmm. You have to be the head of HR. You have to be the head of sales. You have to be head of, I mean, financial planning and responsibility. You also have to create the product. You have to do it all. And so now, like, what I learned was that, like, I'm still going to do it all. And, yes, I'm fortunate that, like, I have now have a team that really believes in what we're doing, why we're doing it, and believes in me. And I I question them every day of why. (laughs) But, um, you know what, I'm really, really fortunate that – we're, we're able to do the things that we can do. Okay. Um, but and like, that's a huge question, but like, so like there's question. no, there's no like one particular story of like, you know what? I hit this drive right. And it was like this one, like shot up over the trees that yeah. taught me how to do business. Like, no, but <laughs> you know, my view on entrepreneurship and connection and relationships all stems from the game of golf. Okay. And so I'm, I'm sure, you know, some of the listeners are probably a little curious. What is it that you do now? So right now, um, I have a couple things that I have going on or in the pot. The main one is something called the Littlefield Company, where we focus on content development for companies who who need to tell their brand story. Um, I also own co-own a gym here in Charlotte. It's called Block, and um, have in the process of the last three four years have opened a couple businesses and shut a couple businesses down. Okay, learning lessons. I'm sure. Yeah, wouldn't again wouldn't change it. Like yeah. I love that I failed. Yeah if all of them were successful, like I don't know where I would be in five years, but for the fact that they failed, I know exactly where I'm going to be in five years. And that's a gifted mindset. It's, it's tough to get that. Cause I mean, that failure, it probably stung a lot, you know, when it's happening, but yeah, it's, yeah. it's tough to, and again, it's like, goes back to like the planker. It's like you go through like the processes of like anger and grief and like upset and like, all right, can I still do this? Or like yeah. if I shift it this way, but you know, from every failure, I definitely will say that I'll pull anywhere between 10 to like 30% out of it and being like, you know what? But this piece of it was really positive. I did this really well in this company or for this company, or we implemented this strategy or we implemented this set of culture, like these set of values that were really beneficial for like day in, day out. And then all of it is going to go back into the bucket. It's going to go into the machine and it's going to come out a better process. Yeah. And, and now you're here and you're, you're doing the little field co like you said, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious about the transition period from professional golf into, you know, where you are now, like you said, you started a few businesses. So do you mind telling us a little bit about your entrepreneurship journey and, you know, where it started and kind of how you got to, you know, where you are today? Sure. Um, so when I was transitioning out of the game, I picked up a part-time retail job at Lululemon here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And a lot of, a lot of my career and a lot of my success also has to do with that. You know, I was, it was kind of funny that like, I didn't know exactly where I was going to go yet. I knew I had an education in, in social media. I knew I had an education around content. 
I knew how important it was, but I also didn't have a college degree. I also hadn't worked for a company. So at 26 and a half, you're sitting you're there. You're starting over. I'm starting over. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm 20 years old all over again. Yeah. And at this point, again, no college degree. My resume says one thing, professional <laughs> golfer. It says one thing. Like, and it was one Which of Which is cool, but you can't walk into a company with no college degree in that and just be like, you know, can, can right. work and in a finance department. Or, right. And yeah. no one, and only a few companies are going to hire a guy to play golf with clients for four yeah. times a week. Sales job. That'd be great, but that's just not what I was in for. And so um, I, I learned a lot from Lululemon and I recommend like any person who's trying to get into the entrepreneurial space to like go work retail because I was able to, I looked at, I looked at a store, right? As a Petri dish. And I was able to sit there and part of Lululemon culture was like, you're supposed to connect and create a lifelong guest. So for me, creating a lifelong guest means being personal to have somebody connect with you later or connect, have somebody to remember you or have like, say, for example, you're going to go home after this podcast and I need you to look at the person, if it's your, if it's your family or if it's your girlfriend or whoever. And I'd be like, you know what? Duncan said this thing today that like really stuck with me. Yeah. And now that's a connection that you're going to remember. So the next time you, you think about me or you see me, we go grab coffee, we go get, we actually get on the golf course for what we've talked I about for so do. long, right? I know. <laughs> um, but you have that connection that you think of me where it's not like in an egotistical way, but it's more of just like, you know what, like that's a little nugget in my brain yeah. that like there's this connection drawn and like that will never be taken away. So I looked at that going, all right, if I want to launch a business, if I want to launch a career, I want to get into this field, I don't know who I'm going to meet. So if I'm going to go, hey, I want to try to be a photographer and I want to run into social space, then like I'm going to tell everybody while I'm talking about Luon or a pair of pace breakers that like I'm also a photographer. Not in an egotistical way, but more of like, hey, this is what I'm excited about. Okay. And I got really good feedback, right? I met I met heads of companies that were like, oh, that's really great. Like, that's really cool. Can you go do this? Sure, of course. Here's sweat equity come in. And now I go do a project and I get feedback. I learn. I get feedback. And you're getting paid while you're doing it. And I'm getting You're paid. making money, you're like, right. which is obviously a necessity. It's the same thing with like, I tell people to go drive Uber. Yeah. Hey, startup, and it's like, hey, do we do I take a loan out? Do I do this? And I'm like, go drive Uber. If you work on your business from nine to five and drive Uber from seven a.m. from and then six to six to ten p.m. and do it all over again, you have no idea who's going to be in your car, and they're going to pay you to listen to your idea because, like, when I go to the airport and I get in an Uber, I'm like, hey, what else do you do? Yeah. Oh, I true. drive Uber full time. Oh, cool. Tell me about it. Or hey, I'm working on this, or I'm doing this as a side hustle. Cool. What else do you do? And I have no idea if I'm driving Uber, I have no idea if I'm going to have like the CEO of Bank of America and then all of a sudden love my tech startup idea. Yeah. Driving them to the airport. And well, another thing too, is it gives you the freedom to have meetings during the day. Cause like, obviously you can just turn the app off and, right. you know, cause it's that it, people can't just do stuff at night and at seven, eight. Yeah. Right. So, um, and that's the same thing with like retail. Yeah. It's like, I was able to then like educate people and learn how to talk to people and you know, every, every one of my friends and my family will tell you I'd never had a problem with that. But, um, you know, I was able to really talk to people and be like, create these connections. And like, I still run into people. I haven't worked at Lululemon in two years now. And I still have people run up to me and being like, oh my gosh, you were that photographer from Lululemon. And I'm like, man, like I haven't done that in yes, two years. I was. <laughs> like, you're right. I was like, and then, and then it goes, what are you doing now? Oh my gosh, that's really cool. Like, that's interesting. I love to see your growth. And like, that's a connection. That's yep. an opportunity. It's not even for business, but that's just an opportunity. Yeah. 
So, okay, so you're working at Lululemon, and like you said, it was a fantastic experience. You're learning, you're you're going through the process of, of figuring out what you want to do. Uh, when did you start your first business, and what was it? So, first business was called In the Streets Photography, okay. and that business was just photography. Um, I just focused on photography, and the name came from, I always asked people if they wanted to go into the street to do, because I was doing a lot of like yoga poses or yoga photo shoots or, you know, fitness around Lululemon. And I was like, let's just go in the middle of a couple cars. And that's where the name came from. So did the photography, um, obviously still doing the photography, but like that was the bread and butter. It was like, I'm just going to just hustle hard on photography. I'm going to work at Lululemon 40 hours a week. Anything I'm not at the store, like it's photography. Okay. So I learned, I educated myself how to use cameras I invested into myself, you know, and I just literally sweat equity the crap out of it. Out of curiosity, I learned a lot on YouTube. <laughs> did you Did you learn a lot about photography? Uh, I would say I learned more now on YouTube okay. than I did then. So I watched a little bit of YouTube when I was when I was just starting, but I'm always the guy who loves to experiment. So I would go out and just like take photos, and I, I tell people all the time we're just starting with photography. It's like there's an auto setting on your camera, use it. Then from there, it's like, see what the, see what the manufacturer wants you to do with that image because Mm -hmm. they're, they're taking their science and going, Hey, like this should be this way. This lighting should be highlights should be here. Yada, yada, yada. Like F stop should be here. Then from there, like learn from it where now, if you don't want your image to look that way, figure out why. So I would take literally hours of photos. I would go one on auto and change something in manual. Okay. And I just go back and forth. And that's trying to find, trying to find your look, if you may. Yeah. But I also wanted to see what it would do. I was curious. Like I was like, like purely curious on like how, how I can manipulate a camera, just like hitting a golf ball. How can I take a singular golf ball who's sitting on the ground and manipulate it to go four yards left or 30 yards right? Mm -hmm. And I was just curious. It's it's the same in many ways, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, I was just, it's almost like I was just out here, out there hitting balls. Yeah. But, like, but a new, a new passion and it's, it's grown from there. A, a new tool. Yeah. A new tool. Exactly. And so, uh, when did it all culminate in, you know, the opportunity to, to leave Lululemon and pursue all this entrepreneurial stuff full time? So, um, I realized that I was stretching myself pretty thin and then all of a sudden I was having to turn down projects. Did you burn out? No, no. I was turning. I was having to turn down projects because of my work schedule at Lululemon. Okay, that's when I knew. When I said to myself, "There's not enough time in the week for me to go uh, take photos," because of my forty-hour week job, I knew then that like it was it was time. So I went part time to like one to two days a week, and then it was official. Like, hey, I need to do this. Like, I need to be fully invested. And was this in the streets photography? Was that in the that streets business? photography yeah. still? Okay. Yeah, it was still in the streets photography. Um, at that time, I launched another company called Paper Airplanes. Okay, um, and I would say launched. That's a that's a loose word, a loose term, because I would say I started it, but it didn't take off the it didn't get off the ground at that point. Um, and Paper Airplanes was I was in the photography space asking the questions as a marketer because remember my first client call it would be GoPro, so I was asking the questions to like. It was a mom and pop bakery in Charlotte who wanted me to come take photos. I was asking the questions of, hey, where is this going to live? What are your colors? What's your brand story? So I was taking photos for them. I was never taking photos for myself. And so now going through that process, I was like, all right, if it's going to be on social, 
Now, they're implementing their social strategy wrong or they're okay. not doing it to the best of it as, as the best <laughs> of its extent yeah. of like what it was. So for that, I was like, all right, let me just own all of it. And now that's the Little Field Co. That's that's a big piece of the big Little Field Company. Yeah. So what it originally started was was as paper airplanes. And I was like, all right, industry's photography is going to live just as a photography company. You know, we'll focus on everything under the sun. If you have a social media manager, I'll work directly with them. Or it was weddings or really everything. Um, so now paper airplanes got off the ground. Um, we were we we occupied the space for about a year. And then that model wasn't, I don't believe it, we were, the market was ready for it where we launched it. And so it was shut down or uh, end of the year last year. Okay. And, and at this time you're still running in the streets. Still running in the streets. And it was then evolving at that point to the Littlefield company. Okay. So I was running, um, paper airplanes as well as Littlefield company at the same time. And the difference was that Littlefield company just focused on content and paper airplanes focused on content and social. Okay. So um, where it really changed was I actually met um, a gentleman by the name of Ethan Massey, and he still is working on my team as lead video, and we met in the parking lot for a wedding because my buddy who was going to be the videographer for my, a wedding of mine, he double-booked himself. And so he sent Ethan, and he was like, hey, I have this great guy. He's going to shoot the absolute crap out of this thing. And like, he's going to do a great job. And he did. Absolutely. And so Ethan and I worked very closely on this wedding. And then I saw the need for video. And then we transitioned as a company. Okay. And that was the birth of the Littlefield Company. Okay. Yeah. Because I knew I had to kick the, in the streets. I knew, I knew I had to kick photography out of the name. Gotcha. And yeah, so you could become more Mm -hmm. than that. The social media, the videography and and everything. Absolutely. I didn't want to put ourselves into a corner where we'd have to rebrand again. Okay. And was he your first, um, I guess the first person you worked with? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And now so, it's seven, eight. Um, so right now we have a, we have a roster of six. Yeah. Um, we've been as big as seven and, uh, we're at a really good place right now. We have, um, we have a strong team that's really committed to making an impact and we're all in it for the long haul. And I'm so, so, so excited about that. I'm so fortunate. Like I walk into an office every day that like with people that I genuinely love, and people That's that I, cool. I love to be around yeah. and I love to support. And we're in it for the long haul. I tell everyone that we're like, you know, nine months into 40 years. I love it. So so what's it? Because, you know, doing golf, it's very, uh, it's, it's, it's by yourself. And uh, you did the whole solopreneur thing. Um, what was that like transitioning into managing people? So hard. <laughs> um, so, so hard. Uh, when I didn't, I didn't know what it took. I really didn't. Um, I was, you know, I, and again, like I look back at like, you know, being a part of a team at like Lululemon and like having managers and I knew like that structure was not my structure. Managing people. No, being in the structure of the management that I was receiving. Okay. So like a lot of things like, like I was, everybody said like, you know, I'm so used to being on my own. In reality, it was just tough for me. And it it was just, it was tough. It was hard. Like my DNA is to be, not even the front runner, but like on my own. Like I just know that. Yeah. And so now taking a step back and really investing my time into learning how to support people is an absolute blessing. Like I am so fortunate that I have five people that actually trust me to fail. <laughs> and like that's like it's it's amazing. Like yeah. people like go, oh, you know, like they tell me that like like I tell them every day that I fail them and 
if they're cool with that, then like we're good. Yeah. <laughs> and and we talked about that a little bit. Um, is I guess that responsibility. Um, is it something you enjoy? Like, are you are you enjoying like? Yeah. You prefer this, prefer to uh, being on your own solopreneur? It's totally different. Yeah. But yeah, I, I like I like the team a lot more. Okay. Um, I wake up with, I've always woken up, I've always been very serious. You know, um, I actually listened to this this recording a while ago from Rob Deerdick, and he said in it, he was like, he used to wake up and rate his motivation every day, one through 10. And I would say like majority in the last 10 years of my life of like playing professional golf, you know, starting a couple of companies, like my motivation waking up every day has probably been like an average of like a 9.2. Okay. And so there's no difference from like the motivation. It was just the difference in where the motivation went. And now the motivation is pure support. It's not just on you? No. Yeah. And I'm honored that people want to pick it up and people want to do it with me. And, you know, I still question them every day. It's like, why do you, you know, <laughs> why do you want to, you know, why do you trust me? I, and I, they tell me and I don't believe them, but that's a, that's a different podcast. That's part of the job. Yeah. Different yeah. one. And you know, <laughs> we're, we're winding down here on our hour of time. And so, uh, well, congratulations on everything you have achieved. It's definitely an inspiration to me looking at, um, and then something we love to talk about, you know, to really close these things out is we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs listening to this podcast. And so if you had to give one, because you've, you've been through a lot, you went through professional golf, you've gone through starting companies failing multiple times, like you, like you said, um, you know, what is a piece of advice you would give to someone maybe just getting started into their whole entrepreneurial journey? I would say the difference is that, or what I would like suggest is like really be your DNA. Like I use that term a lot and it's, it's a little more than like be yourself, but like the, be your true DNA. There's only a real, like entrepreneur is a hot word right now. And I don't even know if I would consider myself an entrepreneur. Right. Um, but there's only a really like few people who have that in them to be like, when times are hard, I'm the guy. And a lot of professional athletes are the guy because they understand how to make decisions in, in really tough spots and high pressure situations. And I'm fortunate that like my DNA, like I love it that I am and I don't take that lightly, but I also like didn't like train myself to be that way. It's just like who I am. Mm-hmm. And so like I always tell people, it's like be your DNA. Because in reality, if you want to like be an entrepreneur and you're in it for the money, like number one at any entrepreneurial company in the next 10 years is going to make far less money as number 128 at Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that's the reality. Like number 128 is going to like triple your income if you're number one at a company. And your first few years, uh, you're probably not going to be making too much. <laughs> oh, gosh, no. I mean, no, if you do no. it, it's just raising money. That's exactly. what it is. Yeah. But so like be your DNA, like, like full heartedly be your DNA. And, you know, I always like my, like, it's like a big thing for me. It's like have a motto. And so like my motto is like written in our logo. It's like everyone knows what I walk in with. You know, we walk in to create, to connect and to inspire, period. That's what we do. And, you know, so for me, like as the person who is, you know, driving this train, right. Um, for me, like the big thing for me is like, don't be flashy. Be creative, be your DNA, love to fail, experience, adapt, and just go to work. And like, that's the game. The game is not selling my company in 20 years. The game is the actual game. The process. The process. I love the process. And it's like, the game will never get old because it's the best game ever. There you go. It is the best game ever. 
but like you have to be like your DNA has to be written to love that game. Absolutely. Well, that, I mean, I don't know what to add to that. That was that was perfect, and we talked a lot about the whole process thing. And you know, I just cannot agree more with all your sentiments there. So. Thank you, Duncan. This has been phenomenal. Unfortunately, we're tapped on time. I feel like we could go for two oh, hours here, but uh, we totally could go yeah. for like seven hours. Yeah, like this is, I'm just getting started. I know, I know, but this has been awesome, man. Thank you so much, and uh, you know, we'll have to get you back on down the line and see how everything's going. Yeah, I like part two. You know, everyone loves the comeback story, but yeah. like, I hope to not have the comeback story, and I hope to have like the build story. There you go. That'll I be love fun. It. Let's do it. I'll be fun. All right, man. Appreciate it. Always, guys. Thanks for having me, Ryan. And um, yeah, man, this is this is great. Everyone, everyone, listen. Just keep listening. There you go. Thank you, Duncan. And uh, yeah, that's a wrap. Appreciate it.